And welcome back. This is the Northern Miners Weekly Podcast, episode number two. I am Matthew Keevil, and I'm sitting across from my co-host. Leslie Stokes. And thank you for joining us. Thank this you. is number two. So we made it. They didn't take us off air. <laughs> Subsequently to John our first. John Cummings says that he really liked the first um, episode. We've been getting some really positive feedback from it from everyone. So yeah. Keep it up. Yeah. Keep listening. Let us know. For uh, reference, John Cummings is our editor-in-chief in Toronto. Uh, we have been getting uh, some good feedback internally and externally. Mm-hmm. So thank you to those who did listen last week. We uh, do appreciate it. And it looks like we're here to stay. So Yay, which is good because it's a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. And this week is PDAC week. I know. So everybody's going to be super busy. <laughs> us here in Vancouver, we're just going to be sitting here hearing all the wild stories about what uh, happened in Toronto and uh, all that kind of stuff. So It's kind of nice being in the little bit of the sidelines, just watching it all go down. Oh gosh, I find it exhausting. Mm-hmm. When was the last time you went? PDAC, uh, I think I went in 2007 when I was working for Freeport. Oh, okay, and, okay. And we just went, scooted over there. It was like, uh, yeah, it was pretty busy. Yeah, were you at a booth? Do you guys have a booth? No, no, we were just floating around. Nice, and nice. Meet and greet. And it was uh, pretty impressive. Like, you know, it was heaps of people. Yeah, yeah. So I think I went, oh, geez, two years ago. Uh, the, the paper actually flew me out and we did did, uh, did some of the booth work and wrapped it. It's big. It's big. Yeah. And it's, and it's cold. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when I was going to uh, Queens in Kingston, Ontario, my dad used to always go up for it. So they trucked me up from uh, from Kingston to Toronto just to go hang out with my dad and all his buddies oh, while they were there. Nice. So when I was in university, I used to go every year, but it's been a while. So we're going to lead off with uh, all you happy people in Toronto. I have your PDAC weather report. <laughs> the weather report. The weather report. <laughs> Usually it's like What's the like? worst weather. Like, I know, you I always have to like go underneath the ground. And just... shockingly, this week, yeah. it's supposed to be lovely. Really? So, Oh yeah, Monday, because uh, our listeners will be uh, catching us on Monday. Um, so it's supposed to be 7 and mainly sunny. Ooh. On Tuesday, it's going to be 10 degrees, cloudy with a few showers. What? what? And then Wednesday, a balmy 13 balmy. degrees in Toronto. Oh my God. With light rain. So, oh my God. Oh, you PDAC Get the people. Sunnies out. Bring your umbrellas, actually. Not snow boots or shovels or whatever you usually bring. Bring umbrellas. So, you're getting a little bit of dose of Vancouver weather for the PDAC this year, which is nice. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, it's sunny here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sunny and about 15. So, uh, and we are coming to you live from the Northern Miner Studios in Vancouver. So, um, and one thing we're going to do now uh, is lead off. We'll lead off every week with just to index everything, just talk a little bit about uh, the metal prices and where markets are. Yeah, just so we have a bit. Positive news right now. There's yeah, it's of, like nice. Things are going bonkers. I mean, so just good. bonkers. And I just uh, love it because I checked the news and there's all these positive sentiment now. And it's like, oh, we're, we're heading to the bull. And it's just, it's just nice. It's like a, a rainbow. I've got some, in, yeah, we will get to that a bit later as far as macro. Because I've got some interesting stuff from analysts on oh, copper yeah? and gold. Cool. Um, but to start off the week, uh, we're looking at the TSX was about at 13,114 points when I last checked. So that's nice. I think it hit... A high for this year so far, which cool. is is not that far advanced, but still, it's better than nothing. Uh, gold was at about, and this is good news, uh, one thousand two hundred sixty-six dollars per ounce. Whoa! So we're above twelve fifty, which is yeah. fabulous. So, U.S. dollars. U.S. dollars. Yeah. So in Canada, Those that's Canadian probably producers. like seventeen seventeen fifty an ounce. Uh, silver's silver's lagging. We're at about fifteen dollars and thirty cents an ounce. So it's a little. It, it'll pop with eventually if gold stays that high. Silver will follow, but it's it's lagging a bit it's right now. Slow, yeah. And then copper. Oh yay! yay everyone's cheering for copper. It's uh, at two twenty one a pound. Now oh. I remember roughly <laughs> six months ago when two twenty one would have been terrible, but now it looks pretty good because yeah. we're well above that two dollar barrier. You know? um, and then just for reference uh, for our listeners, uh, dub uh, West. 
Texas Intermediate Crude Oil. There we go. That, that's a mouthful. Uh, it was at US $34.67 a barrel at the time of recording. So oil's up a bit. Copper's up a lot. Well, not a lot, but a material Relatively. amount. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gold's kicking butt. Yeah. Um, so that's sort of where we sit. And... We have a massive news week, essentially. Like a lot of <laughs> a lot of big things happen we get to talk about. Plus, we have this monster PDAC issue, which came off the press today. Oh, yeah. If anybody listening to this, go pick yourself oh, up a copy of the PDAC Northern Minor issue. It oh, yeah. Is you got to get this. Brilliant. We've got, we've so got uh, Trish Saywell, our senior writers, down in Argentina right now. Cool. S- cool. Filing stories directly from from Argentina. So you're going to get some really um, exclusive stuff. Yeah, the new Argentina, which we talked about last week. Um, But Trish is getting the actual scoop down there from uh, government officials and some companies. So do pick that up because she's got two really good stories in there you're going to want to read. We have Leslie's update on the Chicolton AMABC stuff uh, where she interviewed Gavin. We had a sound clip from that last week. Um, You have my update on Gold Corp, which we'll get into in a little bit because there's lots to talk about there. Um, and just a plethora of other awesome stuff. Oh my God. Can I please talk about the North Korea story? You, uh, yeah, please do. Please do. This <laughs> okay, one's interesting. Just, Everybody, this, this one's interesting. So I have been waiting for this story to come out in the Northern Minor. Um, it was contributed to us by a reader named David Turret. He's, he's in Australia and he's actually a gentleman who discovered Telfer in, in WA. Um, oh really? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> super impressive. And back in 1993, he actually was, um, welcomed into North Korea to visit some of the gold mines. And so he shared this like this like four page, three page spread story on on his um, on his experience when he was there. And and I'm not going to tell too much of it uh, because it's just it's just too funny. Um, You have to read it for yourself. But, you know, one one excerpt that came out of it, he he says, you know, that first night in North Korea, I dined alone in the huge dining hall at the <laughs> hotel. <laughs> there seemed to be a few guests. Granted, it was winter, but this did not seem to be even a place for business, let alone tourists. And this was a city of over 2 million within a country of 22 million, mm-hmm. which was more than Australia's population at the time. Yeah. The whole situation seemed unreal, and it took me a long time tossing and turning in my bed in the presidential suite oh, he's a very, to get me to sleep. a very good writer. He wrote, he, he, he wrote these himself? Yeah. He, oh, wrote, wow. he wrote the whole story and with a bit of help from from John doing some edits it comes from his like life biography and, excellent um, that's really it's cool. unpublished and so he just was so nice to is it um, just me or do the Australians way. have the best stories I know I think it's because they're super friendly so they just get themselves yeah. into all sorts of hilarious like situations. North Korea like North Korea yeah. I mean I would oh, what what an uncanny experience and it's just hilarious every single paragraph so yeah, everybody, catch our PDC issue. We'll have a booth, drop by, say hello to John and everybody, pick up a copy of the paper because it's a great edition. It's a good paper. Um, and we so have a lot good. of really cool stuff in there. So please yeah. do check it out. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, let's move on. Uh, one of the things, we got our first question from a reader. Oh, cool. Or listener, I should say, not reader. Uh, <laughs> this was by email. Nobody has tweeted us yet, but we'll get to that. Your, your guys are going to warm up. We'll, we'll loosen everybody up. Everybody will be... Tweeting us in no time. So again, at Matthew Keeble and... Oh, at Northern Geo. At Northern Geo. So please do tweet us questions. We do have one from uh, listener slash reader James W. And he is interested in what's going on up in Red Lake because in Gold Corp's recent results, they um, said that the Cochner expansion has been downgraded to advanced stage exploration project. Yeah, totally demoted. And then following up on, on the Phoenix... Uh, Rubicon story. People are kind of interested in, well, geez, what's is if Gold Corp screwing up the geology? What's going on up there? So I figured you might be the person to 
<laughs> ask about why everyone's having such a huge problem with these it's essentially advanced stage deposits because Koshner's had nearly $540 million spent on it since they bought it for $1.5 billion um, from Gold Eagle Mines, I think, in 2008. Yeah, they I'm were correct. supposed to go into production with that one. Anyway, so yeah, fire off. Do you have any uh, insights on what's going on up there with, um, well, if Phoenix, if it's in any way related to Kochner and why, what, what, uh, what Gold Corp said on... Uh, on the geological complexities, which is the buzz term up there. <laughs> yeah, it seems, it's, it's funny. There always seems to be a new press release coming out of Red Lake lately saying geological complexity has slowed <laughs> us down. Yeah. The veins are going the wrong way. <laughs> and um, it's kind of one of these one of these things I've been following. And of course, we all know, we're, we're very well familiar with the Phoenix um, Rubicon story and, yeah. and yeah. how that kind of, that, that resource got slashed and, Anyway, um, Gold Corp came out uh, not too long ago as well, saying that they had to reduce production guidance for Eleanor mm-hmm. um, by 50,000 ounces for the year, um, which is a little bit of a step back because the, the deposit itself was was folding more, and that creates like more dilution when you're actually mining it. And that's in uh, Eleanor is in Quebec, just yeah. for our listeners' reference. Yeah, and uh, it's a bit of they, a different yeah. deposit there. It's more sediment hosted. Okay. Um, okay. I was reading the technical report, which is, is dates way back. On Eleanor? Yeah, and yeah. I remember reading the geology. I was like, well, that doesn't really make any sense. So, I mean, I, I'm not sure. Um, yeah, they're having problems because they're actually, I don't know if they're p- through commissioning, but they're pretty much in production there, correct? Yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, but they're they're definitely kind of taking another look at Eleanor. Yeah. Um, some uncertainty there. The report that I read, it, it kind of was obvious that there was a lot of uncertainty with yeah. the geology. I read Just, that as well. So sometimes when you read these reports, you kind of get a feel for like mm-hmm. where the uncertainty lies. Um, and that's certainly the, my, my impression when I read through the report. Um, now with Koshner, um, I tried to find a report on Koshner. I couldn't find one. <laughs> yeah, there, it's, it, well, I mean, they bought it way back in 2008. So yeah. they, they, it's been, you know, a long time since eight years since Gold Corp picked it up. So the last, like, technical report, they wouldn't have wrapped up in their quarterlies or annuals. They, yeah, it was like 2011. Yeah, they were pretty stoked on, on the deposit. Uh, it was mine before, and um, they were expanding it. And, you know, they, they had about, at that time, 9.3 um, million tons at 11.55 grams per ton. So um, pretty gold. typical high grade. Yeah, 3.4 million um, inferred yeah. ounces. Infer- oh, okay. there we go. Yeah, yeah. that's the magic <laughs> word in gold deposits yeah. here. There we is go. inferred and so they've been yeah. really drilling it in order to um, bring it up to indicate it but it's difficult with these gold deposits Matt because yeah. a lot of these things are really steeply dipping they're shear hosted they kind of squirrel around all over the place they wiggle um, and if you're trying to drill it from surface mm-hmm. you're you're looking at really deep drill holes and fan drill holes and when when you're fanning drill holes on gold deposits like it really hits um, the ore body at really weird angles okay and then the distances and that creates a hard time for modelers etc so et so there is is then some parallels with Phoenix and what's happened here with Gold Corp? Um, I, th- I think that... To the degree like, that it wasn't drilled enough is what you're to saying. To the degree that it wasn't drilled enough. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, the, now the thing is with, uh, I guess with Koshner is that they, they recognize now um, a little bit maybe early on before they did the indicated um, that there was there was an issue at Rubicon. The story was that it was indicated resources. Oh, and then okay. they stepped back and said, oh, wait a second. We didn't have reasonable confidence to assume and that there was 4 million ounces. Yeah. And then it went down to, um, oh my God, like what, 400,000 ounces, which, yeah. which shouldn't have happened. Which makes it barely exist. Oh my God, right? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I mean, and then the thing that really kind of irks me a little bit is um, when I'm reading stuff like this is, is what's happening in the core shack. Yeah, that's a good question. You know, because the geologists are looking at this these, this drill core every single day, and 
And if you're looking at the orientation of, of veins in, in the core, you can see that, well, you know, are they running parallel to the core axis or are they running perpendicular to the core axis? And if you're a logger who's really well aware of like where that drill hole is standing in space and what the rest of the model, geological model is looking like, yep. you can kind of put two and two together to say that makes sense or wait a second. So you think this there's make sense a all. divorce from the geologists in the core shack versus the engineers that are doing the desktop modeling to yeah, a degree? Yeah, I feel yeah. like, you know, um, I, and I see it firsthand as a geologist, and mm -hmm. I've, I've heard it from a lot of my friends, is that we're, we're in this core shack, and we're like smashing out these meters. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, there's a wizard behind the curtain, yeah. you know, <laughs> creating this hologram yeah. image of something grand and mighty, Yeah. right? And yeah. we don't really know exactly who that person is. And, uh, we don't so you're just forwarding the results up We're the chain. We're forwarding the results and, on up yeah. the chain. Now, mind yeah. you, that's not necessarily exactly what happened at Gold Corp. No, we don't no, know. No. I mean, there, if you're just saying from your experience. From my yeah. experience, like yeah. that's always a common mistake. And and of course, too, is that geologists? Well, we don't really often make the best structural geologists. <laughs> because it's not it's not that like we, we're not capable of doing it. It's just that like geology, being a geologist requires so many skills on so many different levels. You have to be a jack of all trades um, and structural geology is just another tool in the toolkit, but it's a very important one. Unfortunately, it's very mm -hmm. often overlooked. Okay, okay. But, um, and so, yeah, there, there's definitely a disconnect between um, exactly... The like, different stages of the of the assessing the drilling, essentially, right? Yeah, and the, yeah. And the quality of, of the geologists collecting the information and the communication between the modelers, the loggers, everything like that, it's really important. So, and I mean, maybe there was a disconnect there where um, Koshner is having some problems in Eleanor and Rubicon where, mm -hmm. you know, just fast tracking doesn't work in sheer hosted comp, structurally complex deposits. There's a sound bite right there. Yeah. There we go. That's yeah. the quote right there, there we wanted. So, so <laughs> Took me a while uh, to get there. But James but W., <laughs> there is the response to your <laughs> question. 15 minutes later, yeah. we have a response. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I'm don't sorry. apologize. I can, I can rant about geology No, forever. no, that was oh exactly, that is exactly why we were here. I'm here to okay. talk about finance and you are here to talk okay. about rocks. I love rocks. Mm -hmm. Rocks are um, the best. And so just so uh, our listeners have some, um, like I said, a little bit of a reference point here. Uh, so Gold Corp did buy Kochner in 2008 from Gold Eagle Mines for $1.5 billion. The stated CapEx to develop the extension of what is actually a deposit that's going to feed their Campbell mill was 540 million. These are U.S. Yeah, figures. Um, and the deposit is under Red Lake in a channel between the mainland and Mackenzie Island. Mm -hmm. So what they were doing was building a five kilometer underground haulage drift to haul ore to the Campbell Crazy. mill operation. So, five kilometers. You, pff, yeah, there's like a high speed tram involved too. Like it's like futuristic stuff. Like hey. there's like some sort of like gondola or you something. You know the PDAC? Remember the little underground tunnels there? Yeah. How yeah. much do you think that is? <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. You're walking through it? Yeah. And so I did re um, report on Gold Corp's actual results. So there's a few more things to note. Uh, Gold Corp came out with a huge, huge report last week. Um, and one of the reasons it was big is because a lot of the analysts called it the kitchen sink report. Mm. Uh, because there was like a trio of just like fairly bad news. Um, their reserves dropped by 18%. To 40 million ounces because they now use $1,100 gold price instead of $1,300. Um, so their reserves were down. So they're more conservative there. Uh, they rolled back their annual production guidance through, I believe it's 2018. Uh, they'll now be producing between 2.8 and 3.1 million ounces per year. So there's no growth over the next three years. Uh, and then the big news for a lot of shareholders was they really slashed their dividend. Um, so it went down from about 24 cents a share annually to 8 cents a share. So I was on the conference call and one of the analysts uh, was like, um, oh, are you guys uh, sandbagging everybody? <laughs> and and, and, and uh, David Garofalo, who's the new uh, 
new president and CEO is like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, they're being overly conservative so that they trump their results, right? So that, and then that's, right. um, this is something funny because this is something my dad always told me. And uh, Norman Keevil Sr., who founded Tech, always said this. And he said, what do you say? Uh, under promise and over deliver on your oh, results. Yes. Always. Sounds like BGS always. website. Yeah, yeah. And so, so that's one of the analysts was like, yeah, so one of the analysts was like, are you sandbagging these results? Like, are you going to blow them out of the water? Like, so that, that was, that was kind of the feedback. And, and it was, you know, moderately disappointing, but I think they're, they are being a bit more conservative now just because they don't know where gold prices are going to be. And the other thing they said is it didn't sound like they were going to be looking at a lot of external mergers and acquisitions. Now, companies uh, always say this, but they were really focused on their organic uh, pipeline. So we'll see if Gold Corp's out there. I know there's been some rumors around them looking for stuff, but um, really, it sounded more like they were going to be focused on what's going on inside the company for now. So I really loved how um, apologetic Chuck Jenez was. Yeah, like, That was the best quote. <laughs> I mean, what's, where's that paragraph again? Yeah, it's, it's so funny. It's yeah. just like you are the epitome of a Canadian producer. He just sounded so apologetic. He was like, yeah, well, he to was like the shareholders. He was really because like, he said on the conference call, Chuck Janess did that. Uh, Kochner was like his like he was really gung ho on it, and um, like he was really advancing it. And he said it was the biggest disappointment that he'd had at Gold Corp was oh, what happened really? with Kochner. Oh. So that was his last conference call. So it was kind of like a, a farewell to sorry, everybody. But uh, yeah, it was. He's always been a great speaker. Like I always try yeah. to catch him when he talks. But we'll we'll keep an eye on what he does next. And then uh, they there might is still be able to pull a rabbit out of that hat. Well, I mean, they no, do have not. a like they said in the conference still call. Got heaps of gold there, yeah, there are three million an ounce a year producer. They have competitive cash costs, and they're going to be generating free cash. And flow. at the end of the day, it's an addition district that has like a really long history of being proven to, in terms to of red lake yeah, yeah yeah exactly so, anyway. um and so yeah that's one of the things that happened in our gold space the other thing we were going to mention is due to all this uh gold price going up well above 1200 we saw over the past i guess 10 to 14 days a couple of big gold financings we saw the predium financing oh yeah, yeah uh which right. essentially closed their funding gap at, at uh, bruce jack so they don't they're Funded through to production. Um, Predium raised what um, ends up being a US 130 million, in, uh, where they placed 28.4 million shares at US $4.58 per share, which was actually a, at the time a negative 10% premium on their share price. Mm. I always find this weird. This is something uh, Canagor Genuity noted to me in one of their notes was uh, Predium continues to trade at a 25% discount to his peers. Really? I, I think it must just be a risk. Like, people are still a little bit... People are a little bit not so yeah. hot on BC. Yeah. People don't really say... Well, do you think it's BC or do you think it's because of what we've seen with uh, Phoenix and what we've seen now with Coacher? Do you think people... Like, we've already talked about this to death. Maybe but I mean... Probably, I know. But in the markets, maybe that gives them a bit of a discount yeah, on their multiples. maybe. You know, it's probably... But, you know what? It's probably a myriad of... Uh, of reasons, yeah. And then Kinross stepped in there with a bigger financing yet, uh, US $250 million, uh, where they issued 83.4 million shares at $3 a share. Now, don't expect anything big from Kinross because the reasons they cited for this financing were to repay credit facilities and repay debt maturing in September. So mm. this was more of just a shoring up the balance sheet type stuff, right? So so yeah, so gold's uh, kicking along. We'll keep our eyes open for any more um, gold financings because it looks like some companies are going to take advantage of this pop in the gold price to... Um, kind of shore up some money so mm, um yeah. and funny enough uh i have here some um analyst report on gold looking forward right because his I, I looked into this and historically march is like the worst month for gold really yeah if i pdac i don't know anyway <laughs> 
Uh, so it like always it always goes well to start the year through February, right. and then it it historically definitive. takes just a a little bit of a nosedive in March before kind of. Um, normalizing for the rest of the year, right? Um, so I, I have a few things. One thing Scotia Capital sent me um, was they said, hey, maybe this year might be different. And the reason they said that is that, uh, and, and, and I quote this verbatim uh, from Scotia's trading desk, I believe, uh, given the backdrop of negative interest rates for some $7 trillion of global government bonds, uh, this year could be different. So maybe we won't see a, a tail off in, uh, in gold in March this year that we have historically. So that's something to note, just... Interesting little factoids. Interesting little factoids. Yeah, yeah. And then... to your buddies at PDAC now. Yeah. (laughs) Factoid. And then... uh, So, yeah. So, the other uh, news that came out actually today that we're going to talk about is the big next-gen resource uh, at Rook One with their air deposit. And I think everyone's been waiting for this. This is... They've been hitting some... Uh, ball in grades there yeah. and uh, everybody's like just wanted to know how much uranium they had and they just blew the analysts they blew the analysts I think, out, I think, not uh, blew them out of the water let's get let's yeah. complete that sentence so it's, it sounds terrible yeah. um, but uh, <laughs> so so <laughs> so what's the like, do you have the numbers on their overall resource I think I have them here I just wanted to double check that these are correct uh, so they released the um, arrow resource and it's three and a half million tons at a overall grade of 2.6% U308, which equates to 200, roughly 202 yeah. million pounds of uranium. Now, that's not really a headliner, like 2.6%. Now, the A2 high-grade section is a headliner. This is what everybody should be looking at. Um, so the A2 high-grade zone, which they've absolutely been drilling the heck out of for about six months, has 410,000 tons at 13.26% U308. Now, that... Caught my that catches your attention. But if right. they've been drilling the heck out of it, then how come they don't have an indicated resources on that thing? Uh, that's a good. Well, I mean, I guess they've been flushing out the because I mean, we looked at the cross section, right? They yeah, did. They did. did release a cross section on this, um, and interestingly enough, um, they do say that it starts from a hundred meters below surface. No, the, below the, the unconformity, or yeah. yeah. So it does start relatively close to, um, I guess, the sandstone would be what would be yeah. right above it, right? Yeah. Um, but but uh, the really the guts of the thing, like the A two zone, yeah, where is that? It's closer to six to seven hundred meters below below surface. surface. So there is there is um, there. yeah yeah. So the, there is the um, it does extend the actual. Well, I don't know if you want to call it a, yeah yeah non high grade core. Uh, well, the rest of it, yeah, because it runs from A one to A four or five, I think. Yeah. Um, and so the A one and A or the top part of it is that touches basically almost 100 meters below surface i think yeah. is is um it's up there but it the real like guts of the thing like the 13 percent plus uranium Amazing. stuff is a bit that's crazy that's crazy i and there and i wanted to uh have some comparables so i brought i just like so that we could look at like what kind of uranium deposits in the athabasca look like before but before we do that, I, I have a question for you. And I just wanted <laughs> okay. a little, I want a little bit of geology oh, on this thing. Oh, God. Um, so, you know, it's, it is basement hosted, right? This is... Basement hosted. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so what, the way they despri- describe it, this is, this is Next Gen's direct words. Uh, a sub-vertical planar deposit that has remarkable vertical extent. So if you could talk a little bit about those types of uranium deposits, if you have any 
You're really putting me on the spot. I don't no, know. I'm, 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 I'm interested okay. in, in... It's, uh, well, there's two, there's two main types of uranium deposits yeah. found in the Athabasca. Um, there's the basement hosted type, and then you have the unconformity hosted type. Yeah. It's all part of the same sort of system, but the controls and the mineralization was a little bit different. So you, okay. you had these like really big vertical, like you said, sub-vertical planar shear zones yeah. cutting through rock, mm-hmm. um, where, uh, and then the uranium fluids kind of like seeped up into it, okay. and that, that created, you know, these... Um, fissions and next gen yeah, sort yeah, of. Yeah. So it's they're, they're really kind of narrow shear zones okay, in okay. rock. And, and the then, main difference there is how deep they are, really. Yeah. yeah. And so, it, well, it depends on where you are on the surface. Okay. Like if you're close to the unconformity and basement contact, then you're pretty much like at surface. Okay, um, okay. But now the unconformity style, which you see at MacArthur or Cigar Lake, okay. there are technical challenges because um, that, you know, uranium bearing structure sliced through the rock mm-hmm. and then hit this unconformity, which which is basically um, an erosional surface, the original rock, and then there was all these like sediments put on it, and then the uranium fluids literally bled out because it was like really permeable, yeah. and it bled out into these flat-lying tabular sort oh, okay. of uranium bodies, and that just stewed in its own radioactivity forever, and that basically destroyed the the sediments that they were hosted in, turning into heaps of clay. I see. Okay. Which is yeah. why yeah. Cigar Lake and MacArthur are so technically challenged. Well, they in have mind because tough ground conditions. Yeah, because they, they yeah. just crumbles because it's been like stewing in its own radioactivity for a while. And but those are the two main types. So okay. it's it's okay. easier to mine the vertical. Um, ones and okay. they, they, they go on forever. Okay, well, cool. not forever. Don't don't quote me. And before we go into some of the comparables, we'll 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 just look at what the grade is at Cigar and MacArthur. Just just so we have a general That's Athabasca. A cool idea. Yeah, do that. I have that, and then I also have the resource that Hathor's Rough Rider was taken out by Rio. I have all that information oh, too. Cool. So we could talk about that and just do a little bit of uranium comparison. Uh, we've talked at length about fission, um, but we will pull up the Triple R resource as well, just so we have that when we talk about it. But before we do that, um, funny next-gen story. So this is what happened oh, this yeah, morning. This is, <laughs> this is pretty good. <laughs> is um, so, good. so I'm on there. Uh, somebody pops me their press release in the mail early this morning, like around 6.30 Pacific or some ridiculous hour. Um, and so I get the the... the press release which is on their website and it's a downloadable pdf so i'm like oh wow this is this is a banging resource like this looks really good and then roughly i don't know exactly what time it was but the thing disappeared like the, the press release disappeared and the stock was still halted and i was like uh-oh. what what's going on here so i'm like uh-oh compliance problems yeah um so lo and behold uh, an amended resource or resource an amended press release comes out on t- uh the tmx group website which is like the tsx venture and all that stuff and in a lot of their re- their press release had been <laughs> sort of toned down a little bit. Apparently, like I was talking to our publisher, Anthony Vaccaro, this morning. He said, oh, looks like they had a little bit too much coffee before they put out that first resource. <laughs> um, so they got a little bit too excited. And one of the things they, they said that had to be retracted was that it was like the largest undeveloped uranium deposit in the Athabasca, mm. which can't be true because it's only an inferred resource right. whereas fission has an indicated resource so they had to pull that but i mean they still it was still you know it's still a really good resource and i think their stock the last time i i checked was it popped 22 percent, so it's up to about a buck 20 where i think it opened it under at about 97 cents so they did gain some nice action on that and um, I got a note from uh, Raymond James, David Sadowski, and he could, he described it as an absolute monster. So that's good. So they do have critical mass there. It looks nice. Um, it'll be interesting to see when they do file 
the actual 43101. Sure. I'd like to take a look at it. Well, and we did get a little sidetrack there. I promised listeners that we would look at some uranium comparables here. So I do have some. Uh, for the record, uranium spot price is not looking that hot. Uh, today, I think they were down to 32 bucks a pound from 34 50 last month or somewhere around there. So they're still, they're still struggling along. We've had lots of talks about uh, uranium fundamentals and uh, we'll get into that in the tweets. Actually, I got a tweet from Mickey Fault talks about uranium fundamentals. So we'll get in on that. Uh, Right now though, we'll do a little bit of um, comparisons on the uranium front. If I could find my paper, I always lose my papers. Here we go. Okay. So back in 2011, everyone remembers Rio bought Hathor's Rough Rider for $654 million. So there was a bidding war between Camco and Rio. Rio won because, let's face it, Camco's not as big. Um, so the big kind of jewel when they bought Hathor was what they called the East Zone at the time. And it ha- it's actually got a little bit of comparable grade, not quite as high as the core zone in Aero right now. But what th- they had at East was 118,000 tons at 11.58% U308. So it was oh, such great. It's nice. So that equates to about thirty, only thirty million pounds. The overall resource was, I think, fifty-seven million, including some of the lower grade stuff. So it wasn't as big as Arrow. This no. is one of the biggest inaugural resources. The one thing I'll notice that's kind of interesting about Rough Rider um, is is back in the day, um, Hathor had put out a couple PEAs where they noted the noted the shallow depths. Um, so this thing wasn't as deep, I don't think. And also the PEA modeled the use of uh, an underground decline instead of shafts, mm-hmm. which indicates to me that, I, and I remember back then they were also contemplating open pit mining. So it it's obviously wasn't quite as deep. So keep that in mind. They did um, label it near surface uh, when they sold that to Rio. Now you won't get any information out of Rio on this stuff. Once it goes p- behind the iron curtain that is the majors, you won't hear about it again. So all this data is from five years ago so keep that in mind um the other ones that we want to talk about were camco you mentioned um different deposits obviously but yep yeah it's nice just to get a little idea on grade uh so sakar lake uh proven and probable sits at 602 uh 602 million tons at 16.7 three u308 for 220 yeah, and that's 222 million contained pounds, U308. Whoa. And MacArthur River is, I didn't know it was this big. It's its insanely large. Uh, and this doesn't include measured and indicated or inferred resources. This is just proven and probable reserves. Okay. Uh, MacArthur River is at 1.4 billion tons oh. at 10.94% U308 for 337 million contained pounds. I'm telling you, Saudi Arabia of uh, uh, You world. love that quote. Yeah, I love yeah. that quote. But the funny thing, that's like, everyone's like, well, what? so What's up with uranium supply? I'm like, these dudes are sitting on like nearly like a billion pounds of this stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, over, well, not quite that much, obviously, but but they, they Camco has quite a bit. And then Kazakhstan, which we'll get into this when we talk about tweets later with Mickey and stuff like that. But uh, Good old Kazakhstan. Yeah, yeah. And then um, the other thing that we had... Uh, We'd looked at, I think, was um, Integra. Oh yeah, you wanted to talk about that. Let's okay, so PDAC. Um, by the time anybody listens to this, it's actually going to be over, and I'm sure that. No, no, no. It'll be on Monday. Sunday. We'll get this out on Monday. No, I know, but they're doing their whole big oh, okay. shebang on Sunday. Oh, Integra is okay. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. Integra announced that um, they they announced the five finalists mm. for the Integra. Gold We've been waiting for this. This is I've actually been waiting for this. We also I want to talk about oh. the psychics. So <laughs> okay, go ahead yeah. with the first. So, so they they had like a um, a bunch of submissions there like uh, about over a hundred submissions, 
from all over the world. Yeah. And so, and from, and from those like hundred submissions, they've chosen five and the, the press release is really funny because I was reading who was made it in and it sounds like a WWF match. What do you mean? Like, what are they called? Like, like the like Hulk Hogan? Yeah, it's like the Gold Rush Challenge five finalists in, alphabet, in alphabetical order are the data miners hailing from the Institute, a uh, bunch of French words, are the next generation of explorers who leverage powerful machine learning algorithms from artificial intelligence. Well, they have robots? Yeah, it's every, they say a lot of it's like so AI. Um, wow. The gold crushers are passionate about the art and science of mineral discovery. It, are these company names? Yeah, these are like their team names. Oh, okay, okay, okay. And I thought it's like Gold Crushers Inc. Is yeah. Not, okay, so these are like then, a group of geologists who submitted their stuff? Yeah. Okay, okay. And then, so, and, but the best one here is a big shout out to MDRU. Oh, nice. Craig Hart and yeah. Sarah Jenkins um, both made it into the top five. Their gold team name is Gold RX. And uh, um, remind us, uh, just an uh, update on the M- MDRU and who that is. And oh, sorry, stuff. right. Yeah. Mineral Deposit Research Unit here at the UBC. UBC, Vancouver folks. Uh, Good luck. Man. Good and, luck. And theirs was a brought together international gold targeting experience with GIS and spatial analytical skills to identify opportunity hiding in the shadows was of there head any? frames. And it just reminds me of like, shadows of head You know, it just reminds me of like The Undertaker. Do you remember, yeah, do you remember The Undertaker yeah, in WWE? He comes out and he's got like, yeah. you know, th- his hair is dripping off his head and... Anyway, so, um, but yeah, so there's a whole, there's five here. Um, they're going to be pitching within seven minutes to um, a group of, a panel of judges. Oh, yeah. Who are the judges again? Oh. Um, Brent Cook's on there. I know that. Yeah. They have exploration So insights. you've got um, Chantelle Gosselin. She's uh, director of Silver Wheaton. Okay. Yeah. Um, Rob McEwen's on there. Oh, um, Mr. McEwen, yeah. Corp. Yeah. Yep. So good old days. Yep. Sean uh, Rusin. Oh, he's a Cisco Gold Royalties. Cisco, chairman, yep. CEO. Yep. Randy Smallwood. Oh, Randy's on there too. Yeah, oh, CEO double the Silver Wheaton. Silver Wheaton. Yeah, double the Silver Wheaton. And so they have seven minutes to pitch and defend their idea on how to make the next major gold discovery in Valdor. So hopefully there won't be any wrestling so at like, the end of it. Is it going to, like you've party. described it sort of like a Dragon Den style thing. It so are these judges going to like rip on them while they're up there? I don't know. I don't know. I want to go to this now. (laughs) This sounds amazing. I think John Cumming is going to go. Oh, all right. The the coolest part, too, is Sean Majunder is actually going to be like part of the party afterwards. So, I mean, it's nice to see a Newfoundlander represent me since I couldn't make it. Um, Were there any Australians on there? The only reason I ask is because the Australians won the Gold Corp Challenge back when they did it for Red Lake. Oh, really? Yeah. It was an Australian firm that won it. I can't remember the name of it. But they're they're always kind of sneaky ninjas. We have Paul Pearson. Oh, He's okay. an Australian data hound. Approaches yeah. geology like detective work. I'm telling you, like it sounds, it just sounds like you know it, a big wrestling match here. Integra's really gone all out on this like really sort of social media, like it's so really, yeah, yeah. And you I guys mean, did a wonderful job. That's well the other the other thing I wanted to talk to you about is you, you had spoken. I can't remember who you spoke to over there, but they mentioned that there had been like some fairly outlandish submissions to, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. to the thing. If you could, you just please tell me some more about that it's because. A, it, well, <laughs> Well, I was talking to George Lamas. Oh yeah, I know George. Yeah, and, yeah. and he was he was saying that there's been some really really creative submissions, um, mm-hmm. and you know you, you got to give him kudos for creativity there for sure. Yeah. But they had you know psychic predictions. Yeah. Um, the most common was like uh, using divining rods. Yeah. But not not just like actually you know having the data up in your computer screen and then taking the divining rods and like <laughs> running wow. across across the screen to try to like zero it in. Wow. Um, and I might I might try that right now to see you know who I can kind of guess and see. 
see who who's actually going to. Oh, win. I'm sure uh, they should have they should have like submitted it to Vegas to put odds on yeah, it. Yeah, right. Yeah. Take some take some some wagers. What's the line on uh, the MDRU there? I'd like I'm, to know if they're if they're returning some good uh, some good odds. Maybe I'll take out a little paper on that. I know. I'm so excited. Well, they, they can win five hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> goes to the first. Oh, nice. Like, oh no, I meant if I was going to bet on it, I was just making. I, don't I think, totally, I totally. You want can't do it. that. I, I'm probably. voting for Craig. Craig, I'm with you all the way, buddy. <laughs> Excellent. I'm with you all the way. Yeah. Um, no, super stoked. So there was psychics. See that, and there was psychics, that's divining awesome. rods, like yeah. Um, but it's kind of cool because, like, yeah. So there's there's some interesting new takes on on how to identify targets. Um, a lot of it's very AI driven. Um, yeah, AI. So so like Craig algorithms appears to be like a little right? bit more traditional, which yeah. is always sometimes the yeah the cleanest approach, yeah. uh, most obvious approach. So um, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, Wait. that's gonna be. Uh, so John's gonna have fun there. I would John's love that's gonna have, so that's gonna be fun. fun. That's gonna yeah, be fun. Yeah, I really wanted yeah. to make it, but yeah. we're staying in Vancouver. No, no, no. We're uh, we're, hey, that's not never a bad thing. Staying in Vancouver. Yeah, we got the surf and the snow and the. Sun occasionally. It has been fairly rainy here, but anyway. Well, if, uh, if Craig wins, then I'm just going to say, take me out for a beer. Exactly. And you can tell me all about it. He, exactly. he can pay. He can pick up the tab. Craig, you're picking up the tab, buddy, especially if you win. Um, <laughs> and then the other thing we wanted to talk about that we were going to, I think, talk about a little earlier in the show, but we could definitely move it to now is we just launched our new website. Oh, my God. That's right. How come we didn't start off? How that? sexy is that? It is so slick. I like it. I love it, it. It is so a good. great uh, shout out to Adrian Pacabelli, our online editor, yeah. and Don Molinero, who's our. Uh, coding whiz mm. um they uh they put together a really nice product it looks great we're still working out a few kinks so please uh oh it's so good I've already, bear with us a little like, bit I'm on my but, iphone and stuff and, oh it's great and uh, i'm reading the stories and it's just so oh, i've been uh i've been it. waiting for that since like i started working here yeah, right, yeah. yeah like we we because we used to have that website where if you brought it up on your phone or your tablet it would just be like the raw website and it would just be like almost unreadable and so now we're we're finally we're finally going digital here we got a podcast our website's all updated yeah so please do check it out it's uh it's um a a little bit of a work of progress we're ironing out some of the wrinkles but it's it's absolutely great um and moving forward we're going to do a lot of exciting stuff with it uh including the podcast some video um things like that so thanks again adrian and dawn the thing is is really cool we like it a lot (laughs) and you had a chat with Jonathan Lawn from from Corebox. Sorry, John, if I pronounce your last name wrong. Yeah, no, this is so cool. Yeah. Um, so I'm just kind of exploring the internet mm-hmm. one day last week, uh, and you know all this talk about the 43101 compliance and models going wrong, and um, I don't know how it happened, but I stumbled upon Corebox.net, and it was my first time ever coming across it, and I was pumped. Yeah, it's a cool website. It's the coolest yeah. website yeah. ever. You go on it, and what it is is it's basically it's a free service to companies. Um, no, it's not free. I was looking at it. It's quite a bit of money. No, it's, they, it's kind of like a perk. Um, he, yeah. Well, I, I read that it costs five hundred dollars to set it up, and then it's four hundred a month for the premium service. Now, I don't know what that entails, because the first thing I look at is what? How do you monetize something? But anyways, th- that's immaterial, really. Let's continue with uh, the spiel on it. And uh, well, what it is is that John's actually updating everything um, in order to have free access. And it's three f- D modeling. And it's three right? D modeling. Yeah. So what happens is is that you put in. He's starting it out with caller data. Um, you're putting in your survey data and your assay data. Oh, cool. And then you dump all this information in and you have this full um, use of being able to visualize that data in 3D space. So it's really good for investors. It's really good for um, companies who want to pitch their projects to Mm -hmm. show that there's confidence. Um, in, in what it is that you guys are doing out there. And it's just, and he's he's had it around for a while. And yeah, in fact, it's been he around. even approached the CSA yeah. to update 43101 technical reporting standards to incorporate 
um, corebox.net or this sort of visualization of three three dimensional. Um, yeah, it's data really cool. Because you know you look you yeah. look at all the technical reports and in them. You can't. I can't find caller survey data or assay data, <laughs> yeah, in them. and it's just it's like hard to find. you can't. You can't even pull that stuff up, and yeah. um, that's one of the most fundamental things is, is how these deposits sit in three D space. And so, if you haven't checked out corebox.net, yeah. seriously, go on and there. Did and you have, have an interview with him? Play. So there's going to be. Is there going to be an article? Yeah. On it? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, we, we had a gab about why he feels um, this is kind of a really great plug-in mm -hmm. for the industry, and here's what he thinks about that. We were, I mean, at the time, um, companies were reporting uh, composite intercepts, but uh, but not any caller load, uh, any, any caller data. So you know, those intercepts could have could have come from anywhere, and they and companies were supposed to include a map or a cross section. But it, it was just it was just you know, to me it was hugely open to abuse. You could imagine you can imagine any, anything if you just have to report the intercepts. Those intercepts have, could have come from a small little little region or they could have come from a, a much wider spacing mm -hmm. and and you have you could have any kind of um you know it, it left it left material data in the hands of of um uh, of the of, of the company so at least by disclosing caller data uh, uh anyone outside the organization can get a sense of how that um you know what the what the drill spacing is how far apart it is um, and as, as you mentioned in your, you know, when we when we first got on the call, is that, you know, two, two, a, a two D map doesn't uh, doesn't really cut it. It leaves it leaves a, a lot open to interpretation. So you know, because at the moment, if we look at the sort of the 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 errors that were made with Rubicon and Barkerville, um, you know, in 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 those two cases, uh, one one QP. In this case, the same QP made a mistake, um, or a, seri a series of mistakes, that's damaged the entire, the reputation of the entire industry. And and I don't think it's it's right that we put ourselves, that we as an industry put ourselves in a position, where the mistake, the mistakes or errors of one person, uh, should be allowed to do that. Oh, okay. So that's interesting. So he's talking about disclosing essentially as much data as possible. So the general public or investors have as good an idea as possible about a deposit and drill collars and, and sort of the geometry of the thing. So yeah, that's really cool. So um, if you are interested in um, in any of this information, please do check out corebox.net. Really cool website. Uh, you could uh, see some of your favorite deposits in 3D. Uh, so yeah, please do check it out. And the other thing uh, I wanted to mention, I had a chance um, to have a phone interview with Scott Perry, who's the new CEO at Centera gold which i always find interesting because they have their minds in really really kind of unique jurisdictions like they have a project in turkey mongolia and then kyrgyzstan is their big one right the kyrgyz republic um and i was talking to scott and he's uh he just came over he was a rico gold so um the young davidson mine in ontario uh they got taken out by alamos and he's right. since gone over to centera and i always used to talk to ian atkinson who's an awesome guy he's the former ceo of centera and over the last um i don't know i'd say year year and a half the thing that's really sort of headlined for them is they've had an issue which is the kumtur mine which is their one in the kyrgyz republic uh the governments are trying to renegotiate the agreement under which they operate so they wanted to take they now i think at this point they have an equity interest in the company but they wanted 50 percent in the mine all right um so i asked him i'm like well that's it. like the big question like the really good operating metrics you guys are producing cash flow have a really good balance sheet 
um, but like, are they going to take your mind away? <laughs> and he's like, oh, no, no. He's like, he's like, no, no, that, that, the, the, that was the coolest exclusive I got from him. He had actually just been over there and he talked to the prime minister. He says, those, those talks are pretty much off the table now because of where those discussions were started when gold was at like 15 plus hundred dollars an ounce. So the way he explained it was the valuation now, the equity share they have in Centera is worth more than 50% of the mine. Oh. So for now, they're just like, all they want to do is know how they're going to go into the underground, extend the mine life. So they're at this point, they're pretty happy with, with the agreement I gathered from, from Scott Perry, who's the new CEO. Um, so that was go- cool. And the other thing that he mentioned was they're getting pretty close to um, permitting their project in Mongolia, which is the Gatsert project. Um, and that's, a, I believe, a nice little heap leach mine. So Mongolia is always a little bit touchier and go because they've had the the turquoise hills and the south yeah. gobies and all that stuff so that's always a fun place but it's, it sounded really um positive on that and then also their oxit i probably pronounced that terribly wrong <laughs> is is a project they have in turkey which yeah. which is moving forward and they hope to possibly get both of them into production within a year and a half or something so that was cool they're both like smaller not massive projects but there is some upside and the other thing interesting that he mentioned was i asked him i'm like well turkey is pretty close to syria like How's the security situation yeah, it depends on where you are in Turkey, going on yeah. in Turkey? So yeah, we're in essentially North Central, so it doesn't impact us too much right now. He said they hadn't seen anything. Oh yeah, they wouldn't know. So interesting. So they're they're looking to, I think, essentially double their gold production to about a million ounces over the next two to three years. That's so pretty good. Interesting little organic growth storyline. I think they have over five hundred million dollars in cash, so they're look, they're doing really well. Um, so interesting conversations we're having there. Just uh, that article is actually in the PDAC issue too. So if you want more in depth. Stuff on my conversation with Scott. You can uh, take a look at the paper there. You do the Twitter. Oh yes. <laughs> yes. Everybody, hold your. Hold I love. Your, I love how you put your arms up just then like a bird. Yeah. Hold on, everybody. Hold on to your butts. <laughs> it is Twitter time. Twitter time. Twitter time. This is Matt's favorite time. I do love Twitter time. So this is where I pull a few tweets uh, from the week from. Uh, my Twitter feed that caught my eye and you, sometimes they'll link into what we've been talking about. Sometimes they'll be totally random and sometimes they'll just be hilarious. So we will uh, go on from here. So the first one we had been talking about uranium and I had mentioned Mickey, the mercenary geologist. Yeah. If I ever start a blog or anything, I'm like, and it's use a badass name like Mickey mercenary oh, geologist, call coolest. myself like the, the mining warrior or something. <laughs> um, so uh, Mickey's Mickey just tweeted a little bit about one of an article he wrote, which you probably talked to him about is uh, on uranium. Um, so he just wanted to talk about the differences over the last 10 years in the uranium space. Yeah. So just some of the stats he noted, uh, 66 nuclear reactors under construction and another 158 in the planning stages across the world. So he's obviously uh, projecting uh, demand growth. Um, and then he notes, uh, you mentioned, I think, uh, the Kazakhstan stuff where the 41% of uranium production in 2014 was Kazakhstan. They yeah. have all those Inchitsu mines They've over there. Um, at point oh three percent. Yeah, grade. yeah. I mean, like, I you, mean, it's nothing. It's just, yeah, it's it's um, essentially in situ mining, right? So it's like yeah. a brine kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and but Mickey knows that uh, their their production in Kazakhstan has sort of leveled off over the last year and a half. So he's predicting that as the world's demand grows in yellow cake, Kazakhstan won't be able to provide that much of it. So there'll be a a gap where some of these mines can maybe fill in. Right. So maybe we'll see uranium bounce off the $32 a pound we saw today, which is always good news for all the guys in the Athabasca. 
Um, and then EY Mining and Metals, who are tweeting me a, a lot, um, did a little uh, blurb on uh, in 2016 Mining and Metals. We'll see more divestment spinoffs, joint ventures, and hostile takeovers, which makes sense. Sweet. Uh, equity valuations aren't quite where they were, so people can get deals. They'll jump on them, I assume. Uh, they said gone are the mega deals with unashamed focus on consolidating market share. Uh, at 2007 peak, we saw over US $200 billion of deals across the sector. Um, so they just said this deal rationale has limited currency in the sector right now. Um, it's not all focused on higher returns or it's, it's more focused on higher returns, capital, greater optionality, which is the buzzword we hear all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I, I pulled one of our tweets, shameless shelf promotion. Uh, the Northern miner <laughs> tweeted, uh, Saskatchewan is now the top Canadian mining jurisdiction. It is, according uh, to Fraser Institute. That is right, yeah. So we, uh, Selma, I think, wrote that up this week. I don't know if it snuck in the paper, but it's definitely digital. Uh, so Saskatchewan um, was named the most attractive mining jurisdiction in Canada again. Um, and globally, the second plus place for investments. So congratulations, Saskatchewan and Premier Brad Wall, who is currently being a pain in Prime Minister Trudeau's side vis-a-vis the uh, <laughs> carbon taxes. Way to go, Brad. I like you. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, so just a few more, just how, how the rest of the uh, provinces rank. Saskatchewan and Quebec are the two Canadian jurisdictions to remain in the top 10. Uh, Quebec moved from 10th place in 2014 to 8th place in 2015. Um, and Manitoba dropped 14 spots to 19th. Newfoundland and Labrador yeah, Newfoundland. tumbled from 8th place oh. to 25th. And what? Yukon fell... Oh. Six notches to 12th overall. Newfoundland. Meanwhile, Ontario and BC gained some ground, uh, moving up 8th and 11 positions respectively. So uh, Ontario is now 15th and BC is 18th. And I know the AMEBC put out a thing they weren't too happy with. Uh, yeah. With those results, they figure BC should be higher, but we have some. They were they rank pretty low in terms of policy. Yeah. Policy yeah. perception. Mineral potential were okay. But Mineral potential is good. Yeah. Policy it's, perception it's, is really Sociopolitically, yeah, it can be, uh, it can be yep. pretty bad. Um, and then from our uh, friends over at mining.com, tweet on March 1st, uh, warning of another string of mining bankruptcies in 2016. Keep spreading the uh, shining uh, good was- news. Um, uh, more so, uh, overall global speculative grade corporate defaults will increase by more than 30% in 2016. This is according to Moody's, who does all the yeah. uh, debt ratings and stuff. Um uh, my, metals and mining suffered the highest default rate in 2015 at 6.5%, followed by oil and gas at 6.3%. Now, I, I, I do want to note here, <laughs> the, world, the sky is not falling. Most of these bankruptcies were either coal or, like coal or iron ore related. Okay. So anybody who's essentially in the coal business, be it met or thermal, is in trouble. Um, the, one of the big ones was Alpha Natural Resources Chapter 11 bankruptcy, uh, which is uh, and Walter Energies, and these are two big U.S. coal companies. So when when they say that mining and metals, that includes coal oh. and iron ore. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, so that you know, take that with a grain of salt. Yeah. Um, so that doesn't include like big gold miners or anything like. It's more so just commodities that actually legitimately had the bottom fall out of them. Um, but yeah, according to this tweet, there could. It could happen more, but I assume again it probably will be poor coal guys or iron ore guys because <laughs> Rio is going to flood the market with iron ore. Um, anyway, <laughs> then routers, uh, uh, an update on our BHP Valley Samarco disaster, which we've covered uh, at length. 
Um, a deal on a compensation package was reached for the deadly Samarco tailings dam spill. It's awful. Um, the mine owners agreed to pay an estimated $6.2 billion wow. spread over several years. Yep. Samarco committed to providing $1.1 billion through 2018 into a fund for cleanup costs and amounts between $200 million and $400 million to 2021 so yeah so overall it's gonna be 6.2 billion big bill understandably that was absolutely terrible um but yeah so the numbers are out uh on that um check that out um and then uh finally uh something we've been a little bit remiss i've meant to uh dig into this a little bit but we have a, a tweet from eyewitness news um about the lily mine disaster in south africa uh which is a underground gold mine owned by an australian company called vantage Goldfields, and i think it was roughly a month ago that three employees were trapped in a cave-in oh, yeah. in um, in what was essentially, I think, like a portable where they were storing things. It, like there was a cave-in at the mine and the thing fell. Um, so they've been trying to get them out for, for about a month. Um, and they just reported that um, the second sort of uh, rescue shaft they just finished drilling. So they're down there now. Um, and, uh, the team, uh, th there's a team of rescuers down there, um, and they expect to report back to the Depart South African department of mineral resources, um, with readings about ground stability structures, rocks and stuff like that. So crossing our fingers, hopefully they'll get them out. They're back down there now. So that's just an upgrade on the Lily mine disaster in South Africa. And I think that pretty much wraps up our tweets for the week. So, um, yeah, and I guess kind of wraps up the show. I think we're running out of time here. Um, so once again, good listener thank you for joining us yeah enjoy pdac please do enjoy pdac yeah. have a couple brews on me i hope they still do that that awesome party at the steam whistle brewery across the street from the conference center i always remember that that was a good party uh but yeah i am matthew keeble and i'm leslie Stokes. have a great week and thanks for listening